From Upstate Medical University, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. A recent report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said that progress in the fight against sexually transmitted diseases has unraveled, with rates for some of the most common STDs on the rise. Here to help put this in perspective for Central New York is Dr. Elizabeth Asiago Reddy. She is Assistant Professor of Infectious Disease at Upstate Medical University, where she is Medical Director of Immune Health Services. She's also the Medical Director of Onondaga County's STD Center. Welcome, Dr. Asatio Reddy. Thank you. Uh, Onondaga County has the highest number of cases per capita of several common STDs, including gonorrhea. So let's start there. Why, why is that? One of the things that happens with any kind of uh, many kinds of infections, including sexually transmitted infections, is that once they become established in a population, it becomes more difficult for us to get over the hump and um, make the the rates go down in that population. So. Uh, I think there's a combination of factors in Onondaga County that include a number of colleges and universities where people are sometimes experimenting with sex for the first time and may have many sexual partners, along with um, long-standing poor access to health care for other populations where sometimes not going into health care providers can propagate illnesses within the community. So I suspect that, that our numbers reflect those kinds of um, concerns in our area. So maybe once people are infected, they're not getting treated or not getting recognized and Correct. getting treated, and then it spreads without... Correct. You know. Many sexually transmitted infections can be asymptomatic, meaning that they may not have any obvious signs or symptoms. People might, might not know that they're infected, and they may be infected for a long time and spread that infection to others before anything comes to medical attention. So gonorrhea is the one of the ones that's higher here than other places. Correct. What are are there symptoms that men or women that affects both genders? It does. Um, though interestingly, men almost always have symptoms, and women most often do not have symptoms. Oh. And so it can be very difficult to identify in women, and they may carry the infection for a long time, sometimes with uh, long-term consequences for their reproductive health. Um, whereas when men get sick, they do tend to come in pretty quickly, um, usually because of burning when they urinate, the most okay. common symptoms. So that would be alarming enough to go see a doctor, but if Correct. you don't have any symptoms... Um, if you get regular uh, checkups, would gonorrhea be discovered during a Absolutely. gynecologic exam or something? Absolutely. So for women um, less than age 25, a regular screening yearly for gonorrhea and chlamydia as well, the test is actually done together at the same time using the same sample, is recommended. Um, for anybody 25 and up who has had new sexual partners, or certainly if they have any concerns on exam, um, then that would be added to their panel. For people who come into the Sexually Transmitted Infection Center, we routinely conduct these types of screening on everyone. So everyone who walks through the door and says, I want to be tested, that test would be done regardless of what kinds of symptoms they're having. Okay. Now, what about chlamydia? That's also pretty high numbers in our community, correct? Correct. And chlamydia can actually uh, be tricky for both uh, men and women. It's more commonly symptomatic. So again, more commonly men would show signs and symptoms that they have an infection compared to women. Um, but different from gonorrhea, both men and women can be asymptomatic. So meaning they may not really have any idea that they have that infection. Um, and for those who do have the infection, especially for women, again, the biggest thing that we worry about over the long run, same as with gonorrhea, is that there can be inflammations in the, in the tubes um, that can lead to 
to what we call tubal infertility. So that means that um, the fallopian tubes which carry the egg into the uterus um, can be scarred, can be um, narrowed down. And so that can make it difficult at the time that a woman is trying to conceive um, that there may be a problem in, in getting the sperm and the egg to meet. Um, also, something called ectopic pregnancy, where a, a pregnancy actually establishes itself inside the, the fallopian tube can occur for people who have scarring in their tubes. And so for both gonorrhea and chlamydia for women, that's one of the things that we get most concerned about. Um, for women as well, that can lead to something called pelvic inflammatory disease. Pelic pelvic inflammatory disease is um, a, a more severe form of inflammation and infection in the uterus and the fallopian tubes. Um, and that can cause fevers, abdominal pain, back pain, nausea, vomiting. Sometimes it can be severe enough to require someone to go into the hospital. Most women who have gonorrhea chlamydia do not develop a pelvic inflammatory disease, but because those two infections are both associated with a, a much higher risk of, of pelvic inflammatory disease, that's another reason why we feel very concerned and want to make sure we're identifying and treating women who have those infections. But again, like I said, most women who have um, both gonorrhea and chlamydia, and especially chlamydia, don't have symptoms at all. So it becomes very important. And you can have important. both at the same time. You can well. actually have both okay. at the same time. So it becomes very important for um, accessing routine screening, particularly for women who have become sexually active and are less than age 25, um, and anyone who's 25 and up who has new sexual partners and has had unprotected sex. Doing regular screening is really critical. Um, and again, men with chlamydia may present with symptoms, oftentimes burning with urination, um, but they may also carry it without really having very many symptoms. Now there's other STDs too that's, that are a concern um, in this area as well besides gonorrhea and chlamydia. What are, what are the ones that you see most often? So a couple that we see quite often are viral. Um, one of the ones I always want to make sure that I bring up is human papillomavirus or HPV. HPV is by far and away the most common sexually transmitted infection in the United States and probably in the world. Um, and it looks like more than half of people uh, are infected with HPV at any time in their lives. Probably the majority of people who have ever had sex have been infected with HPV at one time in their lives. And, and don't know it. Correct, and oftentimes don't, don't know it. So the things that we know that HPV is associated with, um, it can be associated with genital warts. Um, there are many different types, of, subtypes of HPV, and some of those subtypes tend to be more associated with genital warts. Others tend to be more associated with long-term changes um, in the genital area that can lead to cancer down the line. So most people who get an HPV infection will clear it on their own over the course of one to two years, whether that's genital warts or whether it's another kind that they don't even see the symptoms of or the signs of. Um, however, some people, for whatever reason, sometimes it's a difference in their immune system or conditions that, that make their immune system weaker, um, do not clear the infection as quickly. And in particular, those individuals are at risk for developing precancer and cancer down the line. So when we talk about pap smears, even though a pap smear we may or may not associate with anything having to do with a sexually transmitted infection, what we're really looking for is changes associated yes. with the HPV virus. Um, so HPV is one of the most common things that we see. When we see it, what we see, for example, in uh, STD center is we see genital warts. Um, but many people coming to STD center 
have HPV infections that we don't otherwise recognize because of just having had contact, sexual contact. So it's very, very easily spread with any sexual contact. Now, HPV, that's the one that has, there's a vaccine for, right? Exactly. Yeah, so I always want to make sure that I really promote the HPV vaccine. Um, HPV vaccine is, is called Gardasil, is the brand name, um, and it actually covers nine different subtypes of HPV, including the types that are the most frequently associated with cancer or precancer, um, and also the subtypes most frequently associated with genital warts. So it really covers the spectrum of what we're most concerned about. Um, and that vaccine is available starting from age 9 up through age 26. Age 11 to 12 is the target age that we really try to get that vaccine done. Um, and one of the main reasons for that is for 11 and 12 year olds, it's recognized that you only need two shots as opposed to a three shot series once you get older. Um, so that's the prime age that the immune system is going to respond best to the vaccine. And so we really encourage pediatricians, parents, um, you know, legal caregivers who are able to consent for the vaccine to get that done during the adolescent period. And particular because, as we said, the vast majority of people who have had any sexual contact will come in contact with HPV at some point because it's so easily transmitted from person to person. So if you're older than age 26, though, um, do you need the vaccine or should you seek it out? Great question. As of yet, we don't have enough evidence to say that people over the age 26, over age 26 in general as a population benefit from HPV vaccine. The main reason being that by that point, most people have already been exposed to the viruses that are in the vaccine. Um, however, any individual person might be different. Um, so somebody who's never had sex up through age 26 might still benefit from the, the vaccine. However, they may not get it covered by their insurance. So anyone who um, thinks they might benefit from the vaccine at an older age should definitely have a conversation with their healthcare provider, and the chances are they could get that covered in some other way um, or even potentially pay for it on their own if that's something that they're concerned about. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Elizabeth Asiago-Reddy about sexually transmitted diseases. Um, now, some of the ones that we've talked about, uh, HPV, gonorrhea, chlamydia, there's others that I want to get to, syphilis, HIV, trichomonas. The, some, are, some are viruses, some are bacteria, mm -hmm. some are parasite, um, and they're all sexually transmitted, but is it easier or harder to transmit some than others? Is it harder to contract? That's or? a great question. Um, I think probably HPV is exceptional in how easy it is to transmit. Um, others, including herpes, which we haven't mentioned up until now, gonorrhea, chlamydia, may or may not transmit, say, with one sexual encounter. Um, and we don't always have the greatest way of predicting what percentage likelihood someone has, has of getting a sexually transmitted infection with one sexual encounter, um, because sometimes it depends on what type of sex they're having, how healthy they are. Uh, but generally speaking, um, for people who have been exposed to gonorrhea or chlamydia, so we know their partner had gonorrhea or chlamydia, because we consider them to be very significant sexually transmitted infections, we would treat that person regardless of any symptoms, regardless of waiting to see whether they get the infection. The same holds true for syphilis. Um, we would treat uh, contacts of, of people who are known to have syphilis with uh, the medication to treat syphilis because it's a serious infection. We don't want to wait and find out whether somebody contracted it. Um, I do want to briefly mention herpes because I haven't brought that up. Herpes is also a very, very common uh, sexually transmitted infection that's quite easily spread from person to person. 
Um, and it can be confusing to people because there are two types of herpes, type 1 and type 2. Um, type 1 can be spread by saliva, close contact with, let's say, kissing somebody, sharing food or drink with somebody, and many people are infected with type 1 when they're children, and that causes cold sores. Um, type 1, however, can also infect the genital area. Um, and so it can be very difficult to know whether uh, something that's a herpes infection um, was something that was contracted in childhood versus something that was contracted in adulthood um, based on a blood test, for example, because we might not be able to distinguish those two. Um, type 2 herpes tends to just live in the genital area, um, and so a blood test for type 2 that's positive would indicate uh, likely a sexually transmitted infection. Um, however, the symptoms in the genital area of type 1 and type 2 are the same, which is sores and blisters coming on from time to time, and yet many, many people also don't have symptoms of herpes and yet can spread it to other people. So this is one of the most common questions that we get at the Sexually Transmitted Infection Center is saying, um, I have something that looks like herpes, does this mean that my partner and my new partner gave it to me? Does it mean that my new that, that my old partner is not faithful to me? And we oftentimes don't know the answer to that because um, whatever partner that person had might not have had any symptoms at the time that the, the person we're seeing contracted their infection. And is there, do condoms prevent the spread? Of, Absolutely. They do? Yes. Okay. So condoms are highly effective in preventing the spread basically of all sexually transmitted infections. HPV is a bit more difficult because even skin-to-skin -skin contact in the genital area can spread HPV, and oftentimes skin-to-skin -skin contact will happen before somebody uses a condom. Uh, but even having said that, condoms still are effective in preventing the cervical infection with HPV. So really, condoms are highly effective at preventing all of these sexually transmitted infections. If you had one STD, are you more likely to get another? Does it set you up and um, make you more susceptible in any way? Yes, that's yes. another great question. Uh, once the, the skin in the area becomes inflamed and you have one kind of infection, that sets up a, an avenue for another infection to go in. So it, it's very true that people who have one type of infection are at increased risk for other types of infections. Um, also, because, as I said, infections tend to circulate within certain communities, once a certain community has a higher risk of infection, um, let's say college students, then because college students are likely to have sex with other college students, then it becomes more likely for you to contract whatever infection is running around that group. Well, I'm sorry that we have run out of time, but um, this has been Dr. Elizabeth Asiago Reddy. She's the medical director for Onondaga County's STD Center, as well as the medical director of Upstate Medical University's Immune Health Services. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's Health Link on Air podcast and radio show.